Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U, where there are no degrees because the learning never stops. I'm Dove, a TA here at Gooner U, and my friend Keith is not here this week. He's on a very short sabbatical. We should see him next time. Uh, joining me instead is a student of Gooner U, Israel Frankel, my father, no relation. <laughs> <laughs> this week, of course, featured round four of the Carabao Cup at London Stadium against West Ham in Premier League match number 11 at St. James's Park against Newcastle. St. James's Park trips me up every time. So, Dad, how you doing? <laughs> Good. But before I say anything, well, first of all, I just wanted to get out of the way. Um, I don't want to sit here beheaded the entire time. <laughs> but at the same time, I didn't want everybody to think that I'm, I'm skimping and saving and sending all my money to my hockey paraphernalia. I'm just getting started with our snow. So this is my toe in the water. The next step will be, go- be to go full full. Jersey, or in the hockey world, you would call it a sweater, even though it's not a real sweater, but that's that's what they call yeah. it. Okay, so now I'm in human mode. So before before you go any further, I have to clarify this. Your mother is going to be sitting here watching this with me, and you have to clarify that Uh-oh. not my father. You better clarify the not my father comment. Yes, that, that's a, that's I am a reference. your father in every way, shape, form imaginable. <laughs> Oh boy! So she's in the room listening. That's that's interesting. Sometimes she takes okay. <laughs> Well, anyways, yeah, no, that's 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 a joke. You are my father, and related. That is a joke. Uh, that is a reference to a show that you and I sometimes listen to, the Andrew Clavin show. He refers to his son, who is also a podcaster, who has another show that I listen to. That is, that is a bit that they do. Just like when I say there is no you and Gooner, that is another reference to to his show. There's well, no Ian Clavin. Being the lifelong Star Wars fan that you are, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't go for the you are my father uh <laughs> well you said beheaded and you had me thinking something completely different because that sounds very close to a much worse thing to be so uh <laughs> beheaded rather than beheaded so um first i just wanted to by way of introduction just kind of tell the audience about as far as i'm aware your first experience with the sport of soccer as we call it in the states and my recollection of that was when i was probably around my son's age around 7 or so starting to play soccer it was probably the u8 division i think that's where i started um and i recall you being a referee uh, something i think we will talk about an, an occupation we will be talking about a lot later in this episode yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got that one. But right. how, how did that happen? And what was that like for you? Well, um, when you first, when we first, you know, brought you out there for soccer, and I started meeting people and everything else, and I volunteered to be a coach. And they said, "Well, geez, we got so many people that you know um, are that want to be coaches and that are already locked in as coaches. Have you ever thought about being an official?" So being the sports fan as I, that I am, and uh, not knowing the first thing about soccer rules, <laughs> I figured that it eminently qualified me for that position. <laughs> so they, they sent me to, to officiating school, and I became a, became a referee. Okay. Wait, so when you... How loosely do you mean sent you to officiating school? What what was actually involved? It was it was like a two hour class, I think, or something. Oh, okay. So there actually was a classroom involved. I was imagining oh, they yeah. just gave you a rule book and said, "Good luck." <laughs> no, no. But <laughs> the irony is, so they had me out there. I was officiating my own games, but it was all kindergartners, right? So you weren't ki- you weren't officiating my division because I was older than kindergarten. They took the more experienced <laughs> knowledgeable <laughs> referees for uh for that league i was you know i was a new oh, okay outfit. so so for so, for refereeing the kindergarten games it was a two-hour class showing you how to tie shoelaces is that is that what it was well you're, yeah you're getting to <laughs> what my primary responsibility was that's right no i mean they, they did a serious job of it i mean the obvious intention was that this is your starting point and right you would as your as the kids moved up, you would move up as well, and that was you know that was the intention. Right. But in reality, I did find that I spent almost all of my time watching the kids' feet, and any time that I saw an untied shoelace, I would blow my whistle, <laughs> I would stop, I would sit down, I would tie the kids' shoelace, and then we would we would move on. And I 
<laughs> blew that whistle a lot of times. I can't even recall if I, how many. I, I want to say how many, but I, I, I feel like saying if I actually called any penalties. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, no, certainly no penalties, probably fouls. But um, it's that's interesting to me because in our league, U6, there were no referees. There were no games involving two teams. We would have at most one scrimmage each session, and it was just our own team playing against each other. So it's interesting that they even tried having that level of play for that young of a crowd. That <laughs> That's surprising to me. But yeah, cool. So uh, before we move on to the topics at hand, I do have some follow-up from last week. Uh, first of all, we'd been talking about the St. George's Cross, which is what England uses as their flag. And we'd been talking about it relative to the Sevilla match. We were seeing red and white flags in the stands. Um, I had mentioned, and I think Keith agreed just out of politeness, but <laughs> um, I had mentioned that it's in the Sevilla flag too. And I think what he was probably thinking of and what I, what I know I was thinking of is the Barcelona flag has the St. George's cross as one visual element in it. Sevilla's flag does have red and white vertical bars um, similar to what you see in, in their jerseys sometimes. Um, so that's one correction. Um, also uh, something I noticed was we've talked before about the byline ads where you know the for you and for audience you know the the goal line is at either end of the field in front of the goal between the posts the byline is between the posts and the corners right so goal line in the middle byline beyond that right so certain competitions have byline ads the premier league does not do that but we notice it in cup competitions and i think maybe the champions league might um, and we've talked about whether those are imposed digitally, like superimposed over the feed digitally, or I've seen in the past sometimes that they're painted on. And I've noticed in some competitions, they don't look sharp, like they're superimposed digitally, but not done as well versus MLS has them. And it seems like Apple does a good job with it. I definitely noticed the West Ham match had them. They were definitely painted on because you could see when they're showing certain alternative camera angles through VAR or replays, you could see that the perspective was off and that it was it was showing it um, like painted on the on the ground. And you could kind of see some wrinkles, too. It's kind of funny if you're paying attention to it. Um, so let's talk. So I, I tasked you knowing that you would be filling in this week. I had asked you to kind of pay attention to the last week or so of matches. And I think you maybe even did last week as well. Um, some of the matches that we covered already, but just kind of jotting down thoughts and things that you want to talk about as someone who has been watching about as long as I have at this point, maybe a little bit less, but not as attentively just as a, a more casual observer. So things that you were wondering about, especially with your experience with other sports that I don't have, you've always watched other sports way more than myself. Whereas as an adult, I never really watched anything at all until I started watching soccer with season one of Gooner U. So uh, what do you think is uh, the first thing that you might want to talk about? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, one of the questions that I have that I, and I basically, I've been, t I think I've, I've watched most of the games, any games that I haven't been able to watch the whole game. I've been going through the extended replays. Um, I, I've liked because it's kind of a um, it's kind of a mix between just the, the, the shortest relays and, and watching the whole game. So if you want to be generous, and, uh, <laughs> call it that. But, um, but yeah. So um, what about? So I've got a bunch of questions here, and, and uh, you know, thanks for the opportunity to, to go through them. Um, what about player loaning? Okay, mm -hmm. um, what is it? And how does it work? Why would you do it? And it, 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 my impression is, is you know, to compare it to the sports that, that I've always followed, primarily hockey and football, basketball during the Michael Jordan years, being from Chicago originally and living there at the time. Those Michael Jordan years are amongst the professional sports I did watch in my life. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, yeah. I was never a basketball fan really before or afterward, but boy, during the Michael Jordan years, I never missed a game. Yeah. Wow. Is that something? I feel very fortunate to have had experience. 
And then, um, and then, but I guess for, it, it seems to me the, like when you're loaning a player, the only analogy that I have, it seems like sending what, what American sports team sends the player to the to their minor league um, franchise, something like that. Is is that a fair analogy? Uh, it it might. be be the closest thing you can find in other sports, but and I think this is kind of a common refrain among some of the other questions that you you showed me that, that you you had on your mind. Um, soccer is played so much more broadly than every other sport that we play in America, where there are so many thousands and thousands of teams. It's like unfathomable to someone who is a fan of like baseball or hockey or something. Although there was a notable uh, hockey news item that covered the English hockey league, which I didn't know existed. There was an unfortunate fatality this week. Did you hear about that? Oh, like I didn't know that there was English yeah. hockey before hearing about escape, that. Escape but, to the, escape to the yeah, that was, yeah. that was unfortunate. But, um, but anyways, so soccer is played all over the place at all different levels all over the world right um so the the it solves two problems so first of all you've got some teams that maybe can't afford to pay the full salary to hire a really good player on the other hand you have higher performing teams like arsenal right where you have a bench populated with players who are realistically never going to see any game time in one of your matches, right? So take so Odegaard. So, so are these players, yeah, sorry to interrupt you, but would these be players that like, because they haven't matured yet, or you have That's, them there in case of injury? So there, yeah, so there's, there's a, yeah, so maturation is one of the biggest aspects of this. So if we're to talk about Odegaard, we had loaned Odegaard to a Spanish team. I want to say Real Madrid, possibly we, we had loaned him to a foreign club before I started watching Arsenal. He had come back already by, you know, last season when I was watching, and I think he'd already been back for at least a couple of years at that point. But when he was an even more junior player, he wasn't ready to play for us. He was not going to see any game time. We lent him out someplace. We collect a little bit of money for giving them that privilege, right? He's able to go there, develop his skills because he's actually playing in matches that matter, right? He gets better. And then we bring him back in. He's got more confidence. He's a better player. We've appreciated his value. And in the case of Odegaard, we kept him. And he's one of our best players now, right? Well, but let, let me ask you a question. So that when you loan a pl- player out, you say they give you a little bit of money. Now, does that money cover what you, the salary that you're paying for that player during that period of time? You know, I don't know. That's something that uh, we can follow up on next week. Perhaps I can ask Keith, I uh, get his take on that. I can do some research, but um so that kind of dovetails with some other things that you were wondering about as far as how do transfers work, right? Yeah. But yeah, that, but yeah, to finish exactly. to finish out the thread of loans. So you're developing a player, you may keep him after the loan is up or having gained value for that player, you can then later on sell him to another club and get even more money because he's more valuable because he has improved at that point. Right. Okay, um, we've had yeah. recent examples of both. Um, like I, I'm pretty sure that's what happened with Austin trustee. Um, he was a player who we had who never played a match that mattered for, for Arsenal. Um, but we'd loaned him out. He played a bunch in another club and now we just sold him for more than we would have been able to sell him for had we never loaned him out. Um, so, interesting. so, very interesting. So, yeah, I don't think there's any analog to that in American sports. I just don't think that's done. <laughs> um, now, is this something that's done just in the Premier League or is it done? No, I, no, professional no, it's, and I think that's the overarching difference of soccer compared to franchise sports in the U.S. is the model is just totally different. Each club is an entity operating as a business. Each player is a free agent, right? Versus American sports where it's a closed system, right? Um, when you're wondering about transfers, right? You, so you had been asking like some questions about transfers, right? What were you, what were you wondering there? 
Oh, let's see. I find my uh, my question here. Like you were asking if trades happen, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, trying to try again, trying to make the analogy. Um, you know, do they do they actually trade players, or is it just, oh, is it always like a a transfer, like a one way? Right. Um, as, as far as I know, it's always going to be one way because there's no reason to trade, right? When you're in the NFL, the NHL, the NBA, you take one player from another team, like it's a zero sum game. He's almost got to play someplace else, right? He's got to replace somebody on your roster. And if there's an open spot where you just took another player out, you're going to put him into that spot. Like trades make sense in a closed system in an open system like this. No, it's, it's down to your balance sheet. How much can you afford? You get rid of players who you can't afford to make, to free up funds, to bring in players who you want. Right. And that's it's operated like a business in that way. And so um, I did. I'll have a link in the show notes in the show description. Um, this is a video that Keith shared some weeks ago. Um, it's from Gunner blog. It's like a 20 minute YouTube video going into the nitty gritty details of how transfers actually happen in the oh, Premier League. Um, and it's from an Arsenal perspective. He's he's an Arsenal supporter. Um so that that'll get into all the details, but basically there are fees paid to the club for them to release the player, as well as you directly transacting with the player and buying out, giving them a new contract. And they, they need to want it, right? Like the player needs to want to transfer. The club needs to allow the transfer, but that's it. Like beyond that there, the league doesn't really have any say as long as it's during one of the transfer windows. Yeah, that that would be okay. So, all right, cool, cool. Okay, um, now here's here's one for you. Do they ever cancel? Or do, it seems like almost lately, the last several weeks or so, at least, it's like every single game is when they when they come down and they show a close up on the sidelines or mm-hmm. players, it's pouring rain. Right. Right. Yeah. Do they, do they ever cancel or delay a game? Because yeah, so I I had to do some research on this because I have not seen a Premier League match delayed or canceled in the time that I've been watching. So I, <laughs> I didn't have an offhand answer. I did some research. There will be, I think, two different uh, links that I gave. Uh, yeah. There, there are two different links. One comes from PremierLeague.com and it's actually uh, informed by a uh, Representative of the PGMOL, that's the officials, uh, organization for, for English soccer. Um, the second one is from The Athletic, which I know is a source that Keith is fond of sharing from. Um, and so the short answer is that it's up to the hosting club, whoever's, which, whoever runs the stadium uh, in concert with the official, right? So the official makes the ultimate call. And the stadium is going to maybe bring the official in within 48 hours of the match and say, hey, we think there might be an issue here. You might want to take a look. And the types of things that they cite. So Keith and I noticed a couple months ago, there was some match that Arsenal played where not only was it raining, it was a thunderstorm. There was lightning like it was severe enough weather that we were surprised and we noted on air that it was surprising they were actually playing in that match. Um, but beyond that, like what we've seen so far this season, it rain, it, it's been raining almost every game. And I, I get the feeling that that's not entirely uncommon in England. Um, but lots of rain and you definitely play through in the rain. Now, if the field is so flooded that the referee feels players safety is in danger, that's one of the criteria. So player, he needs to be able to guarantee players safety that the playing conditions allow the players to be safe. He also needs to guarantee the spectacle for the fans was the other major consideration, right? So in that regard, for instance, rain, you expect there to be rain, but if they're not able to make it there because weather events are preventing traffic flow into the area is one thing. Um, if there's severe winds that could affect public transit or things like that, um, it was really strong wind. They mentioned snow, but I get the feeling snow is a little more rare. It just doesn't <laughs> happen as much. They're talking about a match where there was a blizzard that rapidly 
came in and even then they played through the blizzard until visibility was so low that a players were running into each other. Right. So, Oh, there goes that. I need to remember to go like this instead of this, because I get the thumbs up that comes up on the Mac. So a players couldn't see each other and were running into each other because the snow was coming down so heavily. B the fans couldn't see the action. So the spectacle wasn't there anymore because they couldn't actually see the players playing anymore. Right. So that was a match that they, I guess they were already playing. So I don't know at that point if they had to cancel it and reschedule or if they waited for the weather to pass. I don't know what so they you don't do. think they would just keep the clock running. And when they resume a few days later, they would just have 24 a- hours stoppage <laughs> time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that, that seems more consistent. <laughs> So, so yeah, no, it's an interesting question, but it seems like it really does not happen that much. I mean, the, the articles that I found were from like 2020 and 2021, and we're only able to cite a handful of examples from recent memory where there had been postponements or cancellations. So it seems like it doesn't happen that much, and it needs to be pretty extreme for them to do so. So. So why don't we move Wait, on? I, I, got, I have one more question before we move on. I have okay. one more question and I have to ask this because this is not my question. This is a question that was given to me. Um, this is from, uh, I, I, I think you know him. His name is Reed Frankel. <laughs> and <laughs> the question is, what if the keeper gets a red card, which I thought was a great question. Yeah. It is. Uh, so that was something that he asked for the two minutes or so that we were watching all me, you and him watching together a week or two ago. Oh, and, and by the way, by the way, for the folks at home who aren't related to us, <laughs> yeah. um, the, 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 this is, this is, uh, um, my grandson. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, that was, it was a good question. It's something he's thinking about because he, he wants to be a professional goalkeeper. That is still his stated aspiration. So we'll see how that goes. I'm encouraging him in that regard and helping wherever I can. Um, so I had a hunch what would happen and I did some research to confirm what I believe would happen in that case. But basically when you get a red card, you're out of the rest of the match. And unlike when there is punitive action taken in most other sports, you don't get a substitution, right? You play short-sighted for the rest of that match, right? So it's 10 V 11 instead of 11 V 11. Now, if you have a forward, that's given a red card. You change your formation, a midfielder, a defender, you lose any of the on-field players, you change your formation up and you're fine, right? Now, if a goalkeeper is out, you need to do something, right? So what you would typically do is you would then have to substitute one of the other players to bring your second string keeper in at that point, right? So you'd give up a forward, most likely, to be able to bring in a secondary keeper to take his place. So, <laughs> okay. and, and I, and I won't, I'm resisting the temptation to ask what if the second goalkeeper gets a red card? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that might be the first time it ever happened. I, I, I think, but keep in mind, you go back in the history of hockey. Okay. Um, back, let's say past the, uh, into the, into the sixties, I think, and beyond, you know, fifties and forties back in those days, they, in the NHL, they did not have a spare goaltender sitting on the bench. Hmm. And so if a goaltender did get injured and put out of the game, there's stories. There's a lot. You read the history of hockey. They tell the stories of combing the bars, looking for the, for the backup goalkeeper <laughs> to come in and finish the game. Yeah. Yeah. Thing, things have gotten a lot more formalized in the days since then in <laughs> hockey as well as soccer. So, <laughs> so let's move on to the West Ham match. So this was Carabao Cup round four. This match happened November 1st of this past week. Uh, shortly after we recorded, I think it may have been the same day earlier in the day that we ended up releasing and West Ham ended up coming out ahead three, one. Um, so we were eliminated from the Carabao cup. This is the second year in a row that I've seen us get eliminated. Well, <laughs> the first year I've seen us get eliminated the second year that we got eliminated. Of course, as we've lamented, nobody saw Arsenal get eliminated last year. So we still can deny that it even happened. Uh, that match was televised nowhere. Um, 
But this one, unfortunately, I had spoiled for me a little bit at a time. So (laughs) at first, the day of the match, I was preparing to perhaps maybe watch at least some of it on the train ride to or from work. So I opened up ESPN plus to see if I could download the replay because cell service is spotty. It's I, I don't rely on streaming things while I'm in transit. I usually download it to watch offline. Well, when you see, yeah, just to clarify, when you say in transit, you're on a train. Yeah. On the train, of course. So I, I thought I said that. So, so I was in the ESPN plus app and once I tapped on the Carabao Cup division off on the right side of my screen, they were showing a table of the current day's matches that had finished and what the scores were. Now, I recognized that quickly enough to stick my hand up over it and block it from view, right? Right. What I'd seen at that point was that West Ham's name was bold, Now, I didn't know what that meant, and so I was able to convince myself I still didn't know how the game ended, that it could have been, maybe it was just because they were the home team, that they bowled the home team's names. I didn't know, right? In hindsight, yes, they must bold the name of the victor, right? Um, So then, time went on. Later on, I was editing the show. I think this is the next day, probably. I was editing the show. And getting ready to post it. And I was on Twitter getting ready to prepare my draft of the tweet that I send out announcing the new episode of Gooner U when Twitter made me log in again. And so instead of being on my page where I only see my own tweets, I was on my homepage and I saw a bunch of Arsenal away kit photos. And of course, my eye was drawn to it and I saw West Ham three, one Arsenal, right? I was like, ah, so then the final score was eventually (laughs) ruined for me. Uh, I haven't given up trying to stay spoiler free, but it's getting there. You tell me that as as the seconds closed down in in the second half, you weren't sure that maybe that wasn't the mistake and it was 3-0, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I know. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I, someone, I think I, I think I had possibly even, there might've been another step in the middle there where I saw a headline like Arsenal eliminated from Carabao cup or something like that. So I think I spent some of the day Thursday knowing that they lost, but not knowing the final score before the final nail in the spoiler coffin was, was in. But what I will say about being spoiled on this match, knowing Arsenal was eliminated, knowing they lost three, one, I was able to enjoy the game in a different way, like in a more analytical way, trying to failing, but trying to see what led to it. What could they have done differently? What weren't they doing that they needed to um, in order to win? So I I was able to wear a different hat as I watched the game. (laughs) There is no try. There is no fail. (laughs) Close. Uh, I'll I'll accept the paraphrased reference. (laughs) The the, the Yoda reference. Yeah. So... (laughs) So, so yeah, I mean, I don't know ultimately how much there really is to say about this match. I mean, it was, it was rough. We, we, we clearly didn't put our best effort into winning it. We, we had a respectable side, but we did not put our A team on. Our first squad was not on. Yeah. And I agree. And I agree with you on that. How upset can you get about a game when you're not putting your best effort out there? And, it, 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 and and I think you almost have to look at it from the team's perspective. If you're Arteta and you know the people who make the decisions and, and and all that out there, it's like you're not. Yeah, you want to win, but I think ultimately you almost think that they're judging it by a different set, of, by a different scale. How well did well, you play? You know. No, it's, I don't think it's a matter of how they're judging the match. It's really just that, and I got this sense too from just talking to, you know, friend of the show, Mike, who, who's, uh, guest hosted a, a couple times. Um, the Carabao Cup just doesn't matter. Like it's, it's, it's just a second tier competition that we don't care if we lose, right? Keith has mentioned before. It's something that is very often treated as a youth competition. Um, Arsenal doesn't quite treat it as that, but that's part of why we would put our second team on. In a way, it might be like last season where we're relieved to be eliminated. It's 
less strain on our roster on the depth of our bench, right? Where yeah. in January, we're going to have the FA cup coming up. We're going to be in the champions league, hopefully for a while longer. Like the champions league matters to us. Our standings in the premier league matters to us. The FA cup, I do believe matters to us, but the FA cup probably matters less than the champions league does to us. And I think you'll probably see that reflected in the roster too. So, yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. And, and, and what, is, what do we mean by strain? Yes, yeah, we're in care on the players, but at the same time, these days we're, we're going through, you know, some injuries too. So I yeah. think that that's, that's important to give these guys who are hurt a chance to, to heal and, you know, cut the, and re- reduce possibility of uh, incurring some, some more uh, injuries where it's going to hurt us, where we really care about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. Was there anything else that you really wanted to talk about? Like, I just feel like overall, it doesn't matter. (laughs) What can you tell me? Can you tell me what in the world? I know how it turned out, but what was um, White trying? It's funny in preparing for you know for the show here. I went back. Now I watched the game live, right? Mm -hmm. And um, preparing for the show, I went back and watched some of the highlights. And I, w- I wanted to see those replays of mm-hmm. the first goal where um, Ben White got the own goal. Okay, I love yeah. that. Ter- I love that term, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I love that term. Um, other sports should look at it the way that, uh, that, that you know, that, uh, you know, international football does. And... Um, I went back and I must have seen the replay and I went back and I, I saw the replay in context and I went back and I manually moved it back a few times. And for the life of me, it looks like he's going in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. So you're right. That is the one thing we definitely should talk about from this match. <laughs> I, I put it out of my mind already because I, I, I still can't <laughs> believe it, but yeah. Um, I, I think the charitable explanation is he got disoriented. He lost his place. He thought he was heading it away from the goal and it was in the goal. Cause that was clearly not an accident. He, the ball went in the direction that he wanted to, he wanted it to right? like that was an intentional action. It wasn't like he got caught off guard. He headed it intentionally. It went in the direction his head indicated it should go, which was toward the goal. Right. Um, the less charitable explanation, I'm not trying to levy any sort of accusation, but if it's not that he's on the take like there <laughs> and I don't think that's the case. I don't want to say that about him. I don't think it is, but that's the only other explanation I could possibly think of is he had money writing on the game against Arsenal or something like that's the only other thing I can think of because but well, let's I- let's be nice and let's assume that it was just he got disoriented in the chaos in the box like we talked well, about. Well, I disagree with your um, your theory. I don't think you I don't think he was paid off. But along if you're in if you're going to open up that door, you'll I didn't recognize him in the um, Newcastle match. And at first I couldn't they called this name. I said that's not him. And then I looked at the color of his hair. So that, that would kind of feed any conspiracy theories that you're trying to you're trying you're trying to play out there. Well, gee, what is he in hiding after what happened in the Newcastle match, which I know we haven't got to, but we'll get to. Yeah. But all of a sudden, his 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 hair now is different. <laughs> I mean, and not just subtly. Well, I'm not the kind of person that's, that's looking at somebody's hairstyle, right? But yeah. he has this bright white silver. Uh, yeah. It didn't last, didn't last for long. Yeah, he's yeah. he had that as it turns out for maybe three, four matches or something. He had it for a couple of weeks and decided against it. Um, I did not do research to find out what he may have had to say on the matter. Probably nothing. But <laughs> yeah, and then when I see him in the Newcastle, I said, okay, yeah, he's going into hiding. He's hoping yeah. that nobody recognizes him. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah. Um, it was it was a disappointment, but not a big one. It was, it was a fairly minor disappointment. Um, I mean, it was it was interesting that 
even once we were down three nil that Arteta throughout, because we were down three nil in the 60th minute, like there was still a lot to play at that point. Um, he did bring on Martinelli, Saka, Odegaard. I, I do question what he was trying to achieve at that point. Like did, did he think it was likely that we'd be able to draw even? And if not, closing the goal difference doesn't matter when it's a, a competition we're about to be eliminated from. So he must have felt that we could have drawn even, but that, that was that was interesting. Yeah, that, that was a question that I had, too. I mean, it, it just didn't make sense. I mean, yeah, do you think you can turn the game around in that short a period of time? It was, it was 30 minutes. So if you average one goal every 10 minutes, that's a lot, but it's not impossible, right? Like Martinelli was brought on in the 66th minute, right? It's so like 25 minutes left. So, you know, maybe well, and eight, then, yeah, eight and, and then, a half minutes. And then Odegaard. Uh, Odegaard was later. And, and Odegaard, I think, was the one who scored that last goal at the yep, end. Yep. Um, so, you know, <laughs> yeah, for, for what it's worth, we, we at least didn't let them continue their streak of clean sheets at home, I guess. The commentators made mention of some kind of streak they had going or something with clean sheets. So we put an end to that. So that's something, I guess. Yeah, I guess I guess my take on it, it's like it's like Ars- I don't think Arsenal played all that badly. Right? And um Well what what I would say, my my overall take on the match is Ben White screwed the pooch. Like, I think if that hadn't happened in that way that early on also, I mean, that was the 16th minute, right? That was very early on. And I think that just set us back so early on in a way that really affected the rest of the match. The whole rest of the first half, they didn't have a single shot period on goal off goal, like on target, off target. They didn't have a single shot. That was the only point that was scored for West Ham or could have been scored for West Ham was that own goal. Now to their credit, they did come out swinging in the second half. They didn't just sit back and hold on to that one goal, the entire match. They did come out with a much stronger effort that resulted in the next two. So I I do wonder if the locker room would have been less demoralized even if we'd drawn nil-nil at the half mark or something, I imagine that things could have gone very differently if it hadn't been for Ben White. But I, who knows? I, I loved, I loved the uh, the show. You know, the, the different videos, different move documentaries about Arsenal. Like, um, what's that one that was on um, on uh, Amazon Prime? The All or Nothing. All or Nothing, and then there was like one or two others. Um, I would have loved to have seen that locker room when Ben White walked in there in between camps. Yeah, I would not have wanted to be him. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I think that would have been worth seeing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get to the Newcastle match, I would like to thank our sponsor for this episode, Zencaster. So we use Zencaster for every episode. We're using it right now. We just open it up in Chrome. Uh, this episode, my dad does. This is his first time. No big deal. Just choose your audio and video sources. If you have multiple cameras like I do, I have to choose the camera every time. And we click record, and that's it. We're going. Um, it records locally, and it uploads it when you're all done and as you're recording. So that way you get the best possible quality that you can. So it's super easy to record a podcast, a podcast with Zencaster. You just log in to your web browser. Click the start recording button and that's it. You record a high quality podcast right away. You can record studio quality sound and up to 4K video with your guests. Feel a sense of Zen knowing Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. That's one thing that's really cool. You never need to worry about, even if the video is laggy and glitchy, it's all recorded locally. So even if things don't look good, you know that it's going to be good once it's all done. So that's, that's peace of mind. Um, it's also an all-in-one solution. So if you've thought about podcasting before and you realize that you need a lot of different tools and services... Well, those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and then distribute to Spotify, Apple, and other major destinations. There's also a new iPhone app, so it's easier than ever to record now. With the iPhone app from Zencaster, you can take your podcast on the road. 
If that sounds good to you and you want to start your passion project, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use our code Gooner and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience as we do for all our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. So again, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use our code Gooner at checkout. Again, there is no you in Gooner. There will be a link in the show notes and description if you want to take advantage. All right. Um, do you have any final thoughts on the match? Um, I realize I, I may have jumped the gun a little bit there, but um, no, I think I think that I, I pretty much, you know, obviously, I think I agree with you. I mean, uh, I'll tell you that. Well, that second goal by Wesham was just beautiful, beautiful yeah. pass, beautiful reception and shot. Um, just, just a beautiful, beautiful goal. Um, and um yeah and, and i guess i wasn't really crazy about that third goal that that, that they scored on us um it's, he only hit it with one hand now you're 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 a keeper Dolph. what's your take on that do you think that do you think that that was a savable shot well it was, it was difficult if, if you look at the replay on that it deflected off of kivior so whenever there's a deflection involved, right? So a lot of what a goalkeeper is doing is you're studying the situation, you're anticipating, we call it reading, right? You're reading the situation. You have a read of the player who's kicking the ball based on body language, ball position, all that stuff, right? You're figuring out based on this moment in time, if his foot strikes the ball, where is it going to go? And you're anticipating it. You're moving in that direction. You're getting ready for it. And as soon as there's a deflection, all that is thrown off the window. You can't anticipate deflections like that, especially the nearer it is to the ball. It sends it in a wildly different and unpredictable direction. So the fact that he got a hand on it is it's good reflexes, right? And keepers need to have good reflexes too, but I don't think there's much more he could have done. I, I mean, and ultimately, it, w- it was the third goal. <laughs> I don't think he's losing any sleep over that one. But, yeah. Yeah, and I guess, and, and, you know, I guess just in summary, it just actually didn't play that badly, but just not well enough. You know, yeah. I, I think it, it was, it's a, it's a shame that they didn't win it, but they didn't have to. So, okay, let's, now we have full focus on what, you know, what we in the scheme of things, is actually more important. Oh yeah. So, uh, you did you have? I think you had some questions about the match noted, right? Well, let's see. Um, well, yeah, I have one here, <laughs> and this is something that I've wondered about um, ever since I've started uh, watching, and um, I haven't asked you about. What's the deal with the kids? This, mm-hmm. And this was, and this was, and this was um, asked by Deborah Frankel, <laughs> who I think uh, if we can connect the dots, she's my wife. Um, I think everybody else can connect the rest of those dots. Hi, mom. <laughs> <laughs> who are those kids who walk out with the players in the beginning? What's the deal? Yeah, with? so this is something we've talked about before. They're referred to as mascots, and. They are kids who are in the communities around the clubs, maybe related to one of the players or staff of the clubs. And it's cute. And it's a way to get kids into the sport, get them engaged in it and interested, you know, and it's, uh, it's cute. It's why walk alone when you can walk with a cute little kid holding your hand instead. Um, as we mentioned a couple weeks back, one club was instead they, they substituted instead of, um, human mascots. They had, dogs that they were trying to throw attention to a local animal shelter or something saying adopt a pet, you know? So yeah, it's a, you, you, you say, why walk alone? Isn't that an arsenal or the arsenal songs? You'll never walk alone. Isn't that, isn't that no right? <laughs> Liverpool. Oh, li- oh sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> I knew, I, I knew that, it, that, it, that it came into my brain through yeah. watching, watching Jerry it. and the pacemakers. Yeah. You'll never okay, walk alone. Yeah. Right. Close, I would love. Close. I would love. I would love to know. Like it would. I'm sure the sources are out there, and I probably just haven't uh, gotten to the point of digging, you know, into them. But the, the things that they chant and they 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 sing and and everything in the stands, it's like a whole different. Uh, it's a whole different fan culture. 
out there, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and you're seeing with the Champions League, every country has their own soccer culture. Like, we are getting exposed to a lot of English fan culture. When I watch Messi play, I'm seeing Miami fan culture and American fan culture for soccer, which fan culture for soccer is a little bit different than other American sports, but probably closer to American sports than than English football fans. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, every every country has their own flavor. Yeah, if you want to see American fan culture, just put on the other teams the other teams uniform and go into the home their homes their home stadium to watch a game. Not sitting we're not sitting in these reserve sections right. with you know with thousands and thousands of other like minded fans. Right. And it, it it always the experiences that I've had with that in this country and you know, in I don't know, New Jersey and, and Madison Square Garden and some other places, it it's it's it, it's a credit it's a credit to the American fan, um, you know, what that experience is like. And you have to experience it. If you're a fan for a team, go on an away game, put on your stuff and go out and sit in the stands. And uh, oh, yeah, we, sure we don't have, have time. we don't have the culture of hooliganism here that, that the UK does. You know, it's, I think they're, it's a safety concern more than a heckling concern <laughs> that they separate the fans of different teams. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, so let's move on to Newcastle. So this is a match that did matter. <laughs> so the loss <laughs> matters more. So when, when I was picking jerseys to wear today, I had to pick between two losing jerseys for this week, and uh, I picked the one for the match that stung less. Um, we were wearing the green against Newcastle. or No, we were wearing home. We were wearing home against Newcastle. So hey, it's, it's too bad I don't have a... a- a ref, a referees, a traditional referees uh, uniform. <laughs> I would put that on to, uh, you know, <laughs> to, to, to do an homage to Newcastle. Yeah, right. Um, so this is our 11th Premier League match and our first loss of the season and only our third loss in all competitions. We basically had one loss in each competition, the eliminating loss in the Carabao Cup. And then uh, we had the loss against Law in uh, the Champions League. And now it's our first Premier League loss. Um, this one felt like it shouldn't have been the case. <laughs> <laughs> this feels like we're in an alternate reality that conspired against Arsenal on this one. Like I, I think Arsenal played better than the score shows, and I I could see this match being a scoreless draw. I think that that goal that was given should not have been. I think that is the key takeaway from this match. Yeah, if I were if I were a conspiracy minded person. I mean, I look at the way that, that those Newcastle players were pushing around the entire game, the Arsenal players. I look at how few, how few, um, yellow flags were thrown, how few, um, penalties were called. Here, they had that one of, that one spate of three of them. That was when they were all arguing with the uh, official. It's almost like it was, hey, I got things under control. Uh, you <laughs> shut up and let me take care of it, right? Um, yeah. and, and then, and then the goal. <laughs> yeah. Well, one, one thing I'll say, it was actually interesting. So I was listening to a podcast last night. So here I was in the garage preparing baseball gloves. So our baseball season just ended and I had three catcher's gloves that are way too stiff for these kids to actually use. So I'm like trying to condition them and break them in a little bit. So I'm sitting there doing this and listening to a podcast and it keeps on going to sports analogies. This is, I was listening to a speech given by a U.S. judge to a bunch of other judges. And he's talking about Supreme Court decisions and things like that. And he was talking about this study that was done in which they had officials officiate matches, I think based on videos or something. And basically, do you call a foul here? Do you not call it? One had sound. One group had sound. The other group had no sound. The group that heard the fans called more favorably in favor of the home team. This whole study basically substantiated the home field advantage in a scientific way Hmm. and explained it 
by virtue of the pressure put on the officials by the fans in the stadium. He also brought COVID era gameplay in as supporting evidence because these were a whole bunch of professional matches played without any fans allowed in the stands. And he said, you saw the same types of things where the calls were much more, even if you just look at calls for and against the home team, that it was much more even than the average would indicate. And it's, it's a real thing. Apparently this is a measurable thing. It's something you can aspire to overcome, but it is a very real force against officials. And, you know, he was talking about pressure being put on justices in the context that I was listening to it, but it was interesting because it actually was something from sports that, that got brought up on a non-sports show. Yeah. I had never heard that before. It's fascinating. I would love to see some further studies. They sh- if they could come up with some really comprehensive studies to come up with some some um, really solid results it would be interesting to you know to be in, to present these two or maybe have involved in yeah. the research process different sports it could be across all sports across all countries it is. No, it's, yeah it, no it is this is this is a general thing and yeah so and they talk about playing the official like in a way right like that's that's one of the jobs of a supporting fan is boo as loudly as you can you want your team to get all the calls in their favor boo every call against your team and it has some measurable psychological effect on the officials and that I don't know if that goes all the way to explaining the officiation of this match, but they did show that Newcastle has a very strong record at home. And we've talked on the show in the past about certain stadiums are harder to win at for Arsenal and for others. And that that's at least a factor. It's something interesting to think about, but Oh yeah. When, when you look at that goal and the three separate VAR reviews, the one with the ball, they never showed us the angle that definitively shows the ball didn't the over, go out of yeah, bounds. The, over, the overhead they angle. Showed us the, right. They showed us the one that was from further infield that made it look like it was out. But then they, the commentators said, now keep in mind, there could be an overhang. And just because you see green and doesn't mean that there isn't was, an overhang. And just as he was saying that, the replay that was on the screen, just when he was saying those exact words, Dove, the replay went about one second or two back and, and pushed the ball just a little bit. Well, closer, yeah, but okay, so hold on. This is something you may not be aware of. When VAR is in progress, we're seeing what the video referee, or if it's gone to the on-field official, whichever official is looking at the video, we're seeing a live feed of what they're seeing. So that means the official was trying to move it forward or backward and see how the ball moved. That wasn't the broadcast team. That was the official who was doing that. Okay, good. So I'm glad. So the the commentary would have no bearing. It was maybe a funny coincidence, but it wasn't (laughs) the the broadcast team. It wasn't a, it wasn't a coordinated effort, let's say. (laughs) Um, but so they never showed us a down the line view that to the fans watching this at home, at least would have made it clear that yes, it was actually in. See, you can see what the VAR saw. It looked like it was a judgment call that they possibly got wrong. And then on top of it, you had the foul. Like, I'm trying to remember what all three of them were. There was a potential out of bounds. There was the potential foul. Oh, and then there's the offsides check, too. Now, the offside check that came in between, they had said something like, well, they couldn't rule it offsides because the view was obstructed. <laughs> it was being so the view was obstructed by the guy that was being pushed over. I don't think so. The the push was after the offside, the potentially offside pass. So it was the pass that led to Gabrielle getting knocked over. But okay, but well, yeah, it seemed so. like in the replay. It seemed like watching the replay though. It was like first they questioned the push, then they were questioning the offside and. I, I recalled the offside happening second. It, it doesn't matter which order they reviewed it, but yeah. So when you're reviewing offside, what they're trying to do is they're trying to find the instant that the ball is struck to move it forward. And they're trying to see at that instant was the player who would contribute to the play. So typically the player who's going to receive the ball, but potentially a supporting player. Was he in an offside position? Um, 
So what's inter? I guess what you, I guess the player was knocking Gabriel over. I guess maybe by that metric, maybe he was contributing enough to the play where him being an off in an offside position would matter as he was knocking down Gabriel. I'm not sure, but, but I mean, I, yeah, I don't know yeah. how you get away with not calling that a foul, which would have led to a penalty and therefore completely changed the result of the match potentially. I don't know how, like. It would have turned it from a goal for them to a goal for us. Like it's, or at yeah, least, no, I, I at agree. least let it left it as a draw. If that had been called a penalty, that was just, I don't know how they got to that not being a, a foul. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I, I mean, I agree with you completely. Yeah. It may or may not have been out of bounds. And yeah, it may or may not have been offside. But I don't know how many times I watched that replay. He was pushing him. He pushed him. He pushed him. To me, that's as cut and dried, as clear as you could ask for. He actually pushed him over. Yeah. And, and you're not supposed to be able to do that, right? Well, you know, the, everything's subjective, right? Like, the referees are afforded a lot of power to decide what you are and are not able to do. And I'm sure they do have objective standards that they're supposed to adhere to, but there's so much interpretation involved and I don't have internalized every last standard that they're supposed to be holding them to. But yeah, it seems like, especially when he was the defender who would have been able to block that opportunity. Like if he hadn't been knocked over, he would have been able to clear that ball that ended up getting knocked into the goal, knocking him over when he didn't even have the ball. That's yeah. That seems like that should have been a foul. Yeah. I happened. I happened to see, I happened to see a clip of the um, interview, post-game interview with Arteta. Mm-hmm. And boy, I've, ne- I've never seen him like that. Oh, yeah, fired um, up. Well, here, quote, clear and obvious decisions. He missed, the officials missed clear and obvious. I, well, I wrote it down and quoted it because mm-hmm. I don't want to get it wrong. The officials missed clear and obvious decisions. And he further characterized the call on the goal as a disgrace. Mm-hmm. I mean, for him to say that, I think that, that, that says a lot. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's yeah. So uh, I don't really have much else to say about this match. I mean, Wait, wh- it wh- was, what's the, what's the statement apart from that? How did you enjoy the play? Mrs. Lincoln? Right. Yeah. It was, <laughs> Uh, the officiation decided this result as far as I'm concerned. It was it was pretty disgraceful. I hope Keith is watching this so he notices my Civil War reference that, that I got. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm a huge Civil War buff. You know. yeah. so, uh, <laughs> so, all right. Do you have any questions about this match that you wanted to talk about? Well, let's see. Yeah, you know, one thing that I see quite a bit, and I know that you've mentioned this when we've watched the games together, is could you could you lay out what's the situation? Okay, you're the goalkeeper, you're in the net, and there's a let's let's say I don't know if 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 with the guys that you play with, I don't know if that would be a corner kick or it might be a kick from closer in. I don't, I, I've never seen, you know, I've never seen uh, you all play. I uh, was hoping to get out to New York for it this year, but just didn't <laughs> work out next year for sure. But w- w- what about the whole cross? Because I know you 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 mentioned that to me when uh, we've talked. Well, so you're asking whole, what what is a cross? Well, what is it? What's the significance of it from an offensive perspective? Sure. From a, from a defensive perspective, from the keeper's perspective. Well, yeah. So a cross is a pass from away from the goal, like toward the touch lines that crosses the field in the direction of, well, parallel to the front of the goal, right? So crosses in front of the goal in a way that an assisting player can then get it in. So it's a very common form of assist in, in soccer. So you cross so that someone else can either take a one touch shot or a two touch shot, get the ball and get it in. And what it allows you to do is 
there's usually the most pressure around the player. Most of the attention is on the player that has the ball, right? So take the player who has the ball, move it far away into someone who's snuck into a dangerous position and they're able to get it in. They may not have as much pressure on them, right? Um, what I think you might be talking about is from a corner kick, you have an elevated pass, right? So you very often have the ball kicked way up in the air. So you might have an aerial cross. I don't know if that's a term of art, but it's an airborne cross that is very often headed to or attempted to be headed toward the goal. And there I said beheaded now. Um, so headed well, toward the goal. That's a nice play on words. So what we were, <laughs> what we were talking about is I was pointing out there was at least one, maybe a couple instances during this match of Raya catching a cross like we've talked about where the ball will be in the air and before the other team has the chance to head it toward the goal Raya is able to get his hands on it and completely preclude the possibility of it going in right right so, he busts up the play and that's that's I know that's something that you said you've mentioned to me that you thought was one of Raya's you know uh, real Forte's one of his yeah oh yeah and once it was pointed out to me I see him do it routinely during every match and it's it's a superpower it's something that I don't see other keepers doing and it shuts down an avenue of scoring that every club makes use of so it's it's a good thing um I think you had a question about catching crosses right oh yeah how dangerous so so within that context now that you you set it all up why are some keepers better than it, better at it than others? Is it dangerous for the keeper to try to catch the cross? Maybe there's yeah. keepers who don't even try it at all because of. Well, yeah. So when the <laughs> ball is in the air, it's very tricky time. So let's say from the perspective of an offensive player heading the ball in, right? The toughest thing is jumping at the right time from the right position to be able to head the ball where you want to, right? Like you've talked before about why do they even bother taking corner kicks? Cause it never bounces off their head in the direction of the goal. That's so it's rare that it actually produces anything. Right. And that's why, because it's very difficult to get yourself in the exact right spot where you need to be. It takes a lot of training and a lot of practice and luck sometimes to be in the right spot well, at the right time to, to capitalize. In, in the context of my comments on that, I'm trying to build a case for, set pieces that would maybe go farther back and maybe would right. involve some player in motion or something right. not, like that. Not in swinging toward the box to try and get a header, but right, some other kind of play, right. And and they do do that, but you're right, not not a lot, that they very often rely on the chaos in the box trying to get it in. Um, but so those challenges apply to the keeper also. You need to time it exactly right so that you get into the spot where the ball is going to be at the right time that you're blocking the players around you so they don't head it before you can catch it, right? And the downside is what if you miss? If you miss, you are way in front of the goal. You're way off the line. You're in front of the goal. The goal is therefore wide open. So once it lands on the ground in front of most likely the opposition's feet, they have a clear shot to just get it in. So you need to be confident that you're going to get it. And I haven't seen him miss one. I imagine it must happen sometimes. And it's probably really bad when it does, but most of the time he doesn't, he he is good at that. That is a skill of his. So. All right. Very interesting. So if you were to pick a player of the week, as we usually do, we usually try to, when there's multiple matches in a week, we'll say player of the week and overall between the two matches, who would you pick as your player of the week? Well, I don't know. It's, it's hard. I mean, you know, to see, to watch two games and that's the, Arsenal score one goal between them. Well, the one very late goal at the end of the West Ham match by Odegaard. Yeah. And how many saves, how many saves did Raya make? I didn't see the count. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's hard. It's hard for me. Uh, you know, Saka is normally my favorite player, and it's been good to see him back and, and playing. And maybe I'll, I'll 
I'll give it to him. And it's hard because By default. all the best players, <laughs> the best players weren't playing that many minutes in the, in the, um, right. You know, in the first, in the first game in the, uh, yeah, he, in he, the West Ham match. He right? played about half an hour or so in the West Ham match. Yeah. So out of loyalty to soccer, he gets my vote. <laughs> So I didn't really notice anyone uh, like I I would give Ben White the opposite of player of the match for the West Ham match. But other than that, no one really caught my attention as deserving a shout out for the West Ham match, Um, who I did notice making a lot of very useful contributions during the Newcastle match was Saliba. He saved our skin a whole bunch of times. Lots of really good, proactive defensive plays. There are a lot of situations that could have been really dangerous if Saliba weren't on top of them. So Saliba gets gets my vote. So Okay. All right. So uh, any closing thoughts before we sign off? All right. Well, I was also I was also going to give I also had in my notes I was going to I was going to give a shout out to Keith for uh, his reference to the uh, to the battle flags last week. You know, uh, <laughs> Keith being a a PhD professor in Civil War studies, um, I appreciate uh, his uh, his background and his expertise and his uh, vast knowledge of an area that's uh, very very near and dear to my heart. Kind of just on a you know. Uh, just an interest, a hobby of mine. Sure. <laughs> so, keeping up on it. So I, I wanted to give him that, uh, give him that shout out. All right. Well, sure. He appreciates that. So, uh, if we're talking about next week, what's coming up is this Wednesday, we face the reverse fixture uh, against Sevilla at home in the champions league, which will be on paramount plus. Then Saturday is going to be our last match before the November international break. We're going to be playing against Burnley at home. That one will be on Peacock. We're going to have the November international break, which will resume when Arsenal returns on November 25th at Brentford. So, uh, a little while off and, uh, We'll have updates for you at Gunner U on our international uh, World Cup qualification matches. So uh, stay tuned for that and more. Uh, thanks for joining us at Gunner U. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and some other places. And we appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with friends. If you're watching on YouTube, and we certainly recommend you do, please like and subscribe. To support the show even more, you can become a Gunner U superfan for ad-free episodes and bootleg recordings available the night we record. It's only a dollar a month, and there's a link in the show notes to join. Thanks again to our sponsor, Zencaster. You can find them with a the special link in the description. You can also follow our show on Twitter at Gunner U Show for updates and to ask questions. Please ask questions. We'd love to answer more questions on each show. Again, my name is Dove, and you, you can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. With me this week is my dad, Israel, and you can find him at home studying the Torah. <laughs> Bye. Go, you, go, you gooners. <laughs>